This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. We want people to know that we have listened and we're, we're working on things and we're providing a good plan for education going forward in our state. We're six weeks into the 2018 Iowa legislative session. They don't want to have to come back in March if we get another bad revenue estimate that says, oh, you know, now you've got to cut some more. They don't want it. They, they, they're trying to avoid that. And the first funnel deadline looms. There's just things that they plan to get done that we might not know about, that we may never know about, that they're just going to have to throw overboard. The Iowa legislative session so far. Our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. First, they passed the first step of a multi-decade plan to improve the state's water quality. This past week, the Senate suggested more new money for K-12 education than the House, but then agreed to cut less from the current fiscal year's budget than they had planned. All part of wintertime at the state capitol. This all stems from a $30 million shortfall in revenue midway through the fiscal year. The governor proposed cutting just enough from current appropriations to fill that gap. The House suggested a bit more to build in a cushion. But the Senate went further, suggesting $52 million in cuts in anticipation of further revenue shortfalls. Prior to this week's action in the Senate, Nevada Republican Representative Dave Dio said he understood the concept of cutting more than is currently needed, but maintained that his caucus in the House had a better plan. They don't want to have to come back in March if we get another bad revenue estimate that says, oh, you know, now you've got to cut some more. They don't want it. They, they're, they're trying to avoid that. And, um, and, and I think we have, we're concerned about that, too. But we're, we're you know, maybe the cushion doesn't need to be quite as large. And Dio predicted that the cuts to Regents' institutions would ultimately not be as large as proposed by the Senate. I think the governor's cut to the Regents was about $5 million approximately. And if I was to guess, I would say I would hope our number is closer to hers. I think there's ways that we can do that and make that work. I I'm, I'm, was a little disappointed to hear the $19 million is, is quite a lot. and I, So I'm going to be certainly working to try and get it closer to what the governor's number was. As it turned out, the Senate did scale back to be in line with the governor's proposal and the House plan. But whether another cut is in the offing before the end of the session remains to be seen. K-12 was spared any cuts or deappropriations in the current fiscal year. Republicans in the House came up with a funding plan for K-12 education that added $32 million of new money in the next fiscal year a move that Marion Republican Representative Ashley Henson said was prudent, given the state's precarious financial situation. I think we settled a number, a number that is financially responsible with our current revenue situation in the state. We, as a caucus, have had those discussions, agreed that continuing our support for K-12 education is important. For me, it's a selfish reason. I have uh, one in first grade and one who will be entering kindergarten next year. So I, of course, want to do the best we can for schools. Um, I think the reason we came up with this comprehensive package is, as I mentioned, just discussions with um, with institutional leaders, uh, superintendents, school board members, teachers over the last eight months, and then obviously hearing from parents, too, about what's important to them. But we had those conversations, and that's why we were able to package this together in such a way that we think it provides a comprehensive education package that our schools will really be able to take and run with. Um, and so I think that's 
that's kind of the impetus behind why we chose to roll it out the way we did. We want people to know that we have listened and we're, we're working on things and we're providing a good plan for education going forward in our state. The Senate added $14 million more to the House plan, so now the chambers will have to settle on a final number before the measure goes to the governor for approval. We have had many conversations, and they're not all, they're, they're difficult conversations because you do have to, in essence, prioritize your priorities, um, not just personally, but as a caucus. And so getting, in our case, 59 uh, Republicans on the same page um, in the House is obviously it's a challenge because everybody wants to protect the priorities that are important to them in their districts. So what we've done in protecting K-12 is we've acknowledged this is a priority for everyone and continues to be a priority. And so uh, we, we thought we made that message clear. That's why we let out the gate with that. We have really tried to make it very clear that we value K-12 education and we do think those are the future leaders of our state. And we made that statement by protecting them. I'm joined now by the Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises, Aaron Murphy. You read his work in newspapers across the state. Aaron, is there something that's been a surprise in the legislature so far this session? The one thing that maybe surprised me a little bit was how quickly they got the water quality bill done. Um, Only because when I talked to leaders uh, in the Capitol before the session, it didn't sound like they were necessarily close to coming to agreement. Last year, uh, the Senate and House passed separate bills. And uh, coming into the session, it sounded like both still kind of liked their own version and and weren't interested in in moving a whole lot. Um, But uh, the governor made a call for it in the, her condition of the state address, said she wanted it to be, to be the first bill she signed. And sure enough, uh, two weeks later, uh, she had a bill on her desk. So, so I, I guess uh, that helped move things along. I think the Farm Bureau got involved and, and expressed its support for one of the proposals. Um, uh, but that, so just given the way coming into the session, that surprised me that that got done so fast. Other than that, it's a it's kind of back to a pretty normal session after last year's um, kind of historic and, and uh, unique session. We're, we're kind of back to normal this year. It goes without saying that things always have a tinge to them in an election year, but it seems to be perhaps even more so this year, given the fiscal issues, given the fact that you've got quite a spirited race for governor, primaries on both sides. Do you get a sense of folks playing politics more now than they might have in prior election years that you've covered from the Golden Dome? I don't know about more. I think it's pretty typical for an election year. Um, If anything, maybe uh, there's only one. You talked about the highly competitive governor's race. There's only, uh, other than the governor herself, obviously, there's only one candidate in the Capitol of, of the seven Democrats running and, and the two other Republicans, only one of them is a state legislator. Usually there's a couple of legislators involved in, in a race like that. Um, so uh, Nate Bolton, uh, the state senator, is, is the only one. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely, um, you know, press conferences and, and floor speeches um, that I, I think it's pretty safe to say carry with them, um, as you said, a tinge of, of political um, posturing. Um, I, I don't know that it's necessarily more than, um, uh, you know, that's pretty common for an election year. And I don't know to this point anyways, that it's been any more. So I think just maybe there's, there's a lot of issues that are hot in the governor's race that are directly impact the legislature. And, um, so, so it's a, it's a, a convenient, uh, let's say 
microphone for uh, the opposition party, this in this case the Democrats, uh, to be able to talk to the, about that uh, a lot during the session, whether it's the budget, um, uh, Medicaid, uh, and some other things. Prior to this session, the Senate Democrats elected a different leader. Has that led, in your view, to any discernible change in terms of strategy or how they approach things as the minority party in that chamber? I haven't sensed any uh, real dramatic change yet. No, I mean, there, and, and to be fair, I don't know how much uh, they can during the session. Um, you know, they're, they're the minority party in both chambers. They're completely out of power. Uh, the only thing they can do is kind of bang the drum and, and, and speak into the megaphone as much as they can to, to get their uh, thoughts out there on on various issues and policies, um, but they but they held no power legislatively, so there's not much they can do strategically uh, that would be any great change or make any great difference from from the previous year. Where that change may be more apt to take place is maybe outside the Capitol in fundraising and 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 recruiting candidates and and um, uh, they had a good fundraising year uh, last year. We'll see how they do. Uh, we won't know closer to the prime how they're doing this year. Um, but but I, I think it's more likely that those kinds of changes are, are more likely outside the Capitol than in. So as we look toward a session that is by the calendar shorter than normal because it's an election year, we're down to just a couple of months left in it. What do you think if we look in the rearview mirror come May and June, what are some of the major things that may get accomplished? forgetting the budget for the moment. And I'm thinking about Medicaid and higher education and some of these other issues that you already mentioned. Yeah, I think that will be, and I could be proven wrong. This is just kind of my sense of it and my best guess. I think that list will be fairly short if you, if you talk about big, momentous pieces of legislation. They got the water quality one done already. That would have been one on the checklist. They've got that one crossed off. Uh, the tax reform is is the other, is, is if water quality is one, tax reform is 1A. Um, I, I suspect they will get something done on that with Republicans in complete control. What that looks like, yeah, we still don't know, and and I, and, and Republicans maybe are even still working on it. Um, but I would be surprised if we didn't come out with some form of tax reform. I don't think we'll see much legislatively on Medicaid. Maybe some minor little uh, tweaks, but but the, the big changes that can be med- made legislatively, I don't think legislators have the stomach for. And whether that's you know canceling the contracts uh, to to move it back to state control, uh, I think we'll be maybe see a little bit of nibbling around the edge on the Medicaid, and then expect to hear a lot about that on the campaign trail. I think the big issue, I think the budget's going to take up a lot of the air in the room. I think the tax reform is going to take up a lot. Uh, and, uh, and, and going back to the budget, cause they got two of them to do, they have to do this year's and the next. So I, I don't expect a ton of, of big bills to come out of this session because they don't want to, this to last any longer than it has to either. Aaron, thanks for your insight. We'll connect again before the end of the session. Aaron Murphy covers the legislature and other state government topics in his role as Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises. Coming up, we'll talk with the only independent serving in the state legislature at present. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. 
This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double-check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our look at the 2018 Iowa Legislative Session now by hearing from the only independent, the only non-Republican and non-Democrat currently in office. David Johnson is serving his fourth term in the Senate after two terms in the House. He represents Senate District 1, based in Osceola County. He was a Republican, but switched to no party affiliation in June 2016 in reaction to the Republicans nominating Donald Trump for president. Lyle Muller of IowaWatch.org spoke with Johnson in Des Moines a week ago. The first question I want to ask is just how is the session going for you in general? And then we'll get into some detail. Well, as an independent, yes. uh, it's uh, keeping me very, very busy. I've introduced Introduced a, a number of bills, and I'm trying to track them. I'm working without an office, without a budget, without a staff. But um, I'm getting some help there from people who understand uh, the position I took uh, about becoming the first independent in Iowa since 1923-26. Help from somewhere? Would it be Democrats, Republicans, or a mix? Friends, you know, they're friends. I consider them friends. I really don't put a label on them at all. And they're they're both. They're from both major parties, um, so I get along pretty well. And and there's we also have a network across the country of independents. There, there's a number of no party uh, or or third party people running for public office, and we think that this is a beginning of something really good for the country. Uh, and we're talking about state houses. We have one governor who's an independent. That's Bill Walker in Alaska. So we've had meetings. I've been in meetings in Kansas City and Washington, D.C. Uh, we were at the National Press Club and got some real interest there about what we were doing. We're from all over the country. Uh, there's a big uh, group in Colorado that are running for the state house there. So, so you know, and it's good to have that kind of support. Uh, but I'm getting that support from, from people. I get stopped every day and somebody compliments me and 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 you know it's not like I'm looking for that kind of attention it's just that I'm trying to make a point that we've become so polarized that uh, you know we're going to see legislation come pouring out um, onto the floor very quickly with very little public exposure or input um, and we're going to have to start taking votes on it. How does that work for you not being able to caucus is that an issue for you at all? Well, I, I, I kind of get a few laughs when 
uh, both parties go to caucus, and somebody asks me if I'm going to caucus, and I, I respond, uh, I'm caucusing right now, right here. I do it 24/7, and um, it's it, 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 the it's the information, but what's what you don't have to go through is towing the party line. In caucus, you'll get talking points. I've just noticed the last couple of years, my last session was my first session as an independent, about how these, when, when you separate yourself from it, the talking points are the same for every single person, it seems. It's just over and over and over. And um, I, I, I think that we just need a little bit more um, thoughtful consideration of some of these bills that are coming up because special interests want them. Um, you know, I you know we'll just see. Uh, you know, we're early in the session, but uh, I'm tracking a lot of things I'm, just so that I know what's going on. Because I have people who ask that. Healthcare is one one area where I'm really active in, uh, in terms of finding out information, uh, talking to my constituents back home who are seeing their services cut off because we went to private insurance companies to manage our Medicaid program. And these are, these are people, especially uh, the disabled and the elderly, that are really important to me. And I want to make sure that their voices are heard and that I can relay those to the Senate floor. And uh, I, I'm very disappointed about what's happening with some of our uh, really uh, important uh, approaches to better manage Medicaid. Um, and right now in northwest Iowa, 700 people soon, I believe, are going to see themselves cut loose. They're mentally ill or intellectually disabled. Some are working. We're trying to keep them at home. Well, the, the alternative is jail, the emergency room, hospitalization, homelessness. Uh, those are not good options uh, for people who have chronic illnesses and are just trying to live a good, solid life. Well, what would you say would be the good options then? What would you like to see Iowa do? Well, I would like to see us back up the train, which the administration says we aren't going to do, and go back to state-managed uh, care for our Medicaid population. Uh, The biggest mistake was trying to take everybody at once and and putting them into the system. That uh, what should have happened is what other states have done when they went to managed care for their Medicaid, and that was to allow the state to continue to be the case manager, so to speak, in one big, you know, to provide the case managers uh, for the elderly, for the disabled, for the chronically ill. Getting it back to the notion of you as an independent now, what, what's your influence? What do you have to do to try to affect change or affect legislation? I can offer amendments. I'm introducing bills, and I'm tracking those to see if, they have, uh, if they're going to get a hearing uh, or not. I, I introduced bills last year, and, and they didn't. Um, uh, get an, even initial hearings. I don't know. There's a bit of retaliation that's going on right now by the majority party against me. I mean, it's just so so 
blatantly obvious. I guess I shouldn't say a little bit of room. You know, it's just that they kept me off committees. But I can still go to the committee meetings. I can still weigh in. I can still ask questions. I can go back uh, and report back to my, go back home and report to my constituents. Um, and I can offer amendments and try to improve bills. But this thing is so lockstep now that everything would be shot down. Uh, you know, the, the, the one thing is that the Senate Republicans and the House Republicans are on the same page. That'll tell a lot about, you know, what happens from this day forward. You know, are they married on this agenda or not? Well, okay, now I have yeah. another question. Okay. Are, are they? It seems like there's some kind of difference in some of these. Yeah, I, I believe there is. Uh, the House people deny that. Now we're all getting along. I been around the block a few times and it's not true. They, they have their differences and uh, they're going to have to iron those out pretty quickly if they're going to you know, succeed with this agenda or else there's just things that they plan to get done that we might not know about that we may never know about that they're just going to have to throw overboard. And you're campaigning again? Yes running I am. Again? I'm going to run again. If it gets down to 25 24 all of a sudden, I get reelected. All of a sudden, I'm I'm the 26th vote, and you need 26 votes to win, or I mean to to pass any bills. Who knows? State Senator David Johnson with Iowa Watch's Lyle Muller, and that brings us to the end of this week's program. Next week, a new national study shows many flagship universities across the country have low enrollment of African American and Latino students. Yet the University of Iowa is showing a slight increase in the number of first-time degree-seeking students from those populations. But that doesn't mean there isn't work left to be done. That's next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to hear all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more iowawatch.org. Follow us on Twitter at Iowa Watch and be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting on the program. We're on Facebook too, facebook.com slash iowawatch. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. Thanks go to Trent Rice of Iowa Watch Connection affiliate KASI in Ames for contributing material used in this week's program. The program is produced in the studios of KXEL Radio, Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Cedar Rapids. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.